we learned earlier in the previous in the previous post that the first foundation of tshuva is tshuva tatoa. Tshuva tatoa means the introductory level of tshuva, which requires a person to pull together all the diverse interests that a person has in life and unite them behind a central motif. The central motif is one which unites all of them behind a divine purpose. And that's the first level of tshuva. Then the Mittal Rebbe proceeds in what is tshuva itself. He says tshuva is an incredible resource. It's a powerful device that God gave us that is more powerful than Torah and mitzvahs. The proof for that, says the Mittal Rebbe, is because Torah and mitzvahs is there to discern between good and evil. Torah tells us to reject evil and to embrace that which is good. Torah does not try and attempt to transform evil itself. It enjoins us, it enjoins us to reject evil. That's because Torah doesn't have the power to transform good, evil into good. Tshuva is different. Tshuva is the only, only, only tool, the only resource that Hashem gave us that can take evil itself and make it into good. It, it's what Chazal tells us, is the Averis, that a person did intentionally become mitzvahs. So we see the great power of tshuva, and that's why it says in Chazal that tshuva is higher than Torah, and came before Torah, and before the world was created. Although Torah was also there before creation, but tshuva is there even before Torah, because it's greater than Torah. The question is, where does tshuva get that power from? To be able to take evil, outright evil, and make it into good is, is, a, is a completely illogical idea. It defies rationality. Something which is evil, how does it become good? This is a very unique power that tshuva has. Where does it come from? What is the meaning behind this power of tshuva? And he says, in order to understand the dynamics behind the power of tshuva, we have to understand the dynamics of a sin. What is an avera? Tshuva is designed to fix and rectify the averas we do. So if we understand the dynamics of an avera, then we'll understand what tshuva is. As here the Mittal Rebbe ventures into a whole discussion of the, 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 the level of decadence that an avera has on the soul and the consciousness of a Jew. And in general, the two categories of averas called Klippus Neiga and Shalosh Klippus Atmeyas. Klippus Neiga is the type of evil which is not as harsh. It has the potential of being reversed back and become good again. And that's the type of evil where a person does not indulge in things that are outright forbidden in the Torah, but merely indulging in materialistic pleasures that the Torah does not prescribe, proscribe, but indulging in them for their own sake, not for the sake of Kedusha. It's also a form of evil because in the world of Kedusha, everything is directed towards Kedusha. It's there only for one purpose to serve the, 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 the divine meaning and purpose for which everything was created for. The moment a person deviates from that central purpose and begins to indulge in material pleasures for their own sake, you leave the domain of Kedusha and you enter the domain of Klippa, of evil. But that's the milder aspect of evil. And here the Mittal Rebbe discusses how the 
this engagement, we have the option to engage in these materialistic, decadent uh, types of behavior. How they compromise and deteriorate the fabric of our spiritual consciousness and connection to Hashem. And for that, he cites a posuk. Hashem says, I'm giving you today life and death. And Moshe says, the Ebishter says, choose life. As if Hashem is advising us, don't choose the wrong thing. I'm telling you, you should choose life. Why would Hashem have to tell us that? Doesn't it naturally become self-evident that everyone wants to choose life? Even animals have a natural instinct to run away from danger and to run towards life. Why does the Abish have to give us advice as if we wouldn't do this on our own? As if we wouldn't do this anyways? Says the Mithil Rebbe that here life and death is not talking about physical life of the body and physical death of the body. He's talking about the life and death of the Nishama. A person can have life in his Nishama and can have death of his Nishama. We can kill, murder our Nishamas. What does that mean? He says the Nishama has its own concept of life. Its life is vibrates with, 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 with divine energy, with Kedusha, and it senses and feels every moment its connection to the infinite resource of life that is, that is connected to Hashem. And it's that sensitivity and that feeling of bonding with Hashem that forms the life of the Nishama. A person is able to engage in daily life and feel that vibration. That sensation of the neshama is exposed, the person feels, is in touch with that. Or a person can live a life with that feeling of the neshama, that sublime divine life force that vibrates in the neshama, is totally alien and foreign to the person. It has died inside of him. Interior tells us choose life. Do the kinds of things that will awaken within you that higher superior life the highest supernal life of the Nishama, that you become aware of it, that you begin to live and sense the vibrations of that life. And here's how the things we do can affect whether we're alive or whether we're dead, in that spiritual sense. It says in the various levels, it's not just life and death, black and white, there are, there, there are multiple and variant levels of the existence of life or the absence of it and in many levels depending on what type of behavior we engage in. Here the Mithil Rebbe makes a second point. We have to understand that the battle of good and evil that is raging inside our hearts and minds don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in the context of a much larger battle between two cosmic forces. There's a cosmic force of evil. It's called in Kabbalah, Keser de Klippe, the crown of, of evil. The crown of evil, it's called crown because it is the root of all evil. Just like the crown in a king is the source and the root of his power. The crown of a king is what empowers him to rule. Same thing, the crown of evil is this transcendent, divinely created force that is the root of all evil. All manifestations and creation of evil comes from that source, from that force, that cosmic force. And he said the manifestations of evil from that cosmic force are many and variant in many levels. 
including in the most physical level of existence. You have rocks that by nature are very hard and rough. Then certain things are more uh, you know, delicate, gentle. He says that's an influence from that source, that cosmic force of evil. In some substances, it's more manifest, and some is less manifest. And that is manifest in the, in the way that substance exists, the, the properties of that substance. In, in, in plant life, we can see it more openly, more, more directly. Certain plants are poisonous, they harm, because they have a greater manifestation of that cosmic force of evil. They're beset with properties of evil because there's a greater influence, a greater exhibition of that cosmic force of evil. And animals that are predators, that are violent and aggressive, because they are beset with a greater manifestation of that source of evil. And the same thing is with a human being. How do we know whether we're wired in to that source of evil? Because our behavior, our actions, and our interaction with evil and good happens in the context of those two divine opposite forces. We can interact with the force of evil, open up the channels of communication with that cosmic force of evil, and then we become subject to influences from that source. And how do we know how deeply we are wired in into that uh, cosmic force of evil? This, is, is, this can be identified not by our actions, ironically, by thoughts. And it brings an interesting Gemara. The Gemara says that The thoughts of evil, people have thoughts about doing an Avera. They're not actually doing it, but they, they have this constant preoccupation of their minds with, with an obsession with that type of uh, temptation. Right? Whether it's a sexual temptation or about arrogance, uh, gl- self-glorification. People are obsessed with their own egos. Or some people are obsessed with jealousy. You know, the, 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 the preoccupation of the mind with a certain type of evil. He says, this preoccupation of the mind is not something we control. It's not something we choose. We, be- we become subject to it without our choosing. He says, it's because we are, it's, it's, it's evidence to the fact that we're wired into a force that's greater than us. It means that the channels of communication with that cosmic force of evil is quite open, and that's why from that source we get all these thoughts. These thoughts, the way we think, the, the things that are, the, 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 the things that dominate our thinking are evidence of what cosmic force we are wired into. Where if we're plugged into the world of evil inherently, subconsciously, then the types of thoughts that will dominate our daily thinking without us choosing it, it will just happen naturally. Our thought, our conscious thinking will be bombarded with these types of thoughts. It's because we are connected subconsciously to this cosmic force of evil. It's called Kesser the Clipper. Kesser is something that's above the head. It's something transcendent. We're not conscious of it. But we are receptacles and recipients of, of that force, of that world of evil. And it keeps throwing thoughts into our minds. Our actions are not as uh, indicative of that connection, that attachment we have to the world of evil. Because actions is something we do. 
but the thoughts that come into our minds without us uh, opting for it is indicative of a deeper bond that exists at the core, the deepest recesses of our hearts with something greater, deeper than us. And he says, that's why the Chazal are not trying to tell us that if you think about doing an Avera, even without doing it, you get punished more than if you actually do the Avera. That's absurd. Hashem doesn't punish people for wanting to do an Avera. You only get punished in the Torah for doing it. What Chazal means by Koshim is much harsher. It's symptomatic of, the, of a deeper bond that lies in the very core of our being with a world of evil that cosmic world that's infinitely greater than us. And when we become so hooked to that world, we become subject to an endless stream of thoughts that are evil, that um, we don't control because it's too hard to control. But in that, there are various levels. It's depending on how much a person allowed themselves to indulge in certain temptations because the more we indulge in temptations, the more we cultivate that deeper subconscious bond with that cosmic world of evil. And the more our thoughts become uh, um, subservient at the mercy of that higher cosmic force, and we lose control of our ability to think proper thoughts, holy thoughts, which will then orient our lives towards Kedusha. But that doesn't mean that the evil has penetrated the very core of who we are. Because after all, we don't like it. Most of us have evil thoughts, but we don't like having them. We wish we didn't. And every once in a while we cry over this. We wish we were differently. And we try again and again to change. It shows that it's not hopeless. We still have a part of us that's, 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 in a, that's healthy and that's safe. And it can pull us out of that uh, abyss of unclean thoughts, of unclean uh, life force. So, but there is another type of evil where a person slips and deteriorates even further. And that we'll discuss in the next post.